Our children are here in the service with us today. We are always glad to have them. We're going to continue to take a look at the, the parables. One of the most profound traits of the grace of God will likely shock you. How many don't mind being shocked a little bit today? We're going to save it for the end. But it's a very, it's a very profound trait of the grace of God. If you can understand this trait and understand how this works in the grace of God, you can understand better why some miracles don't come to some people. You can understand better how faith works better for some than it does for others. We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 20 today. We're basically looking at three things in this parable in Matthew chapter 20. The first off, there's a promise. Second, there are expectations. And third, there are attitudes. And we're going to look at the progression of these three things. Last week we were looking at the unfaithful steward and the rich man and Lazarus. We saw in the parable that Jesus was not teaching us to be shrewd. He was teaching us how to handle people that are in debt to the Master. Sometimes we miss that in looking at People have become so focused on the shrewdness of the steward that we lose sight of what he was actually trying to say. When he got on to the rich man and Lazarus, we see he actually was pinpointing somebody in particular. And if you missed any of that, you can go up on YouTube, Facebook. The videos are there. The podcasts are there. Because I don't want to spend too much time on that or we're going to miss what we're going to do here today. But kids, we're going to have a game for you. The adults will enjoy this game too. We're going to have a game for you to help help out with this. Let's go on over here to Matthew chapter 20. Let's read this. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them into his, his vineyard. He went out early in the morning. Early in the morning... We're going to give you the times for all these things. Early in the morning is determined by most people that work on these, these kind of things, by most people, to be around 6 a.m. Now, what I want you to understand about this is that these people came ready to work at 6 a.m. They did not wake up at 6 a.m. They woke up before that. They got themselves dressed, fed, and transported to the marketplace so that they were ready to work at 6 a.m. That's pretty good, isn't it? How many like that? Some, some workers like that. We were finding a lot of workers anymore. They don't show up till 10 o'clock. And if they do show up earlier, they're not ready to work until 10 o'clock. They're just kind of there. But these guys showed up at 6 a.m. and they went to work. And it says they agreed with the laborers for our denarius a day. Now, how many people know what a denarius is? Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically what it's going to represent is a day's wage. And so I'm going to get out of that language and I want to put it into a language that you can understand. So we're going through this, you can visualize some things. Now, I'm not going to say that this is a day's wage, but this is a number that we can work with and get the understanding of this. If you went through Rick Renner's video, the last one we put up there, how many remember the denarius? That little tiny coin. That's what they worked the day for. 
We're going to use the amount of $100. I am not telling you that denarius is worth $100. I am simply giving you an amount. That this man comes to an agreement, and instead of us thinking denarius, which I have no idea how to transport, translate that into my money, we're just going to say $100. All right? So $100 is the agreed upon amount. Keep that in mind because we're going to play with that number. And that will help you understand the end result that we have here. Now, in case you're wondering, well, let's go on here to verse three, it's verse 3 first. And he went out about the third hour. The third hour, the way the Jewish people break this up, the third hour, if you want to write this down, if you care about it, the third hour is 9 a.m. Anybody want to take a guess at what the first hour is? First hour is not 6 a.m. First hour is 7. First hour is 7 a.m. 8 a.m. is the second hour. Third hour is 9 a.m. They basically divided the day up into 12-hour periods and then just called the night, evening, and early morning. And they didn't bother putting first hour, second hour, anything else on that. So they were working off of a 12-hour day. So this way they just referred to that. I, li- I can kind of understand that. I, I like that if anybody has, has seen any of my uh, clocks that I deal with, the clock on my computer, the clock on my phone, the clock in my truck, the clock on my, my hand or my watch, every single clock that I have that I deal with, that I interact with, is all set to military time. It has been that way ever since uh, the early 80s. I said it, I changed it over then, and I've never gone back. It's always been military time because it's simpler for me. It was a real simple reason why I got on that. It's because when I was going to Rama, I didn't have an alarm clock. I was a poor student. I didn't have an alarm clock. My watch was my alarm clock, and so I would set my, my uh, watch for my alarm, and that's what would wake me up in the morning just in case I needed that. Now, Brother Hagen taught us not to depend on an alarm clock, but I had to be sure because I was going to bed sometimes at 3 a.m. and getting up by 5 a.m. So you want to make sure that you do get up for those kind of things. So one day I set it for, I didn't realize it, I set it for 5 p.m. instead of 5 a.m. Because on a watch, that a.m. p.m. is really tiny. And I said, this will never happen again. And so I changed my things over to military time. And so if you wonder why I do it, it's not because of anything else other than I want to always know what time it is. So my grandson, he's, he's, a, he's a champ at this. He'll get in the truck and he'll get in there and the first thing he looks on is the clock in my truck. And he translates it into time. So he'll see, you know, 1,400 hours. And he, it doesn't take him more than a second or two anymore. Oh, that's 2 o'clock. He just, he just rattles it off. He loves doing that. I love watching him do that. And uh, he's gotten real, real good at it. He can just about take any time that's out there and tell you within a matter of seconds what time it actually is. So I can, under, I can appreciate first hour, second hour, things like that. But he went out again about the third hour. This is the second time he's gone out. 9 a.m. and he saw others standing in the marketplace. Now, why did he not hire these people when he went out the first time? Anybody want to venture a guess? They weren't there. They didn't get up in time. They either weren't expecting anybody to come and look for people to hire that early, but they were not there. If they had been there, how many of y'all know they would have been hired? Because he went out and it seems like he grabbed everybody that he could and it's not enough. So he came back for another load. And he grabbed all those folks that were there. 
third hour. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Idle means they aren't doing anything. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the 6th noon and the ninth, 3 p.m. 6th hour, which is noon, and the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. So he went, goes out at 3 p.m. Now the workday ends around 6 o'clock for these folks. And he did likewise. And about the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one hired us. And he said to them, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right you will receive. Now I have a picture up on the, uh, the flash up here on the screen because I want to show you something that is uh, very interesting that happens in this, in this parable, in this, uh, this deal with the time. We had the early morning, he went out. Early morning, what time did we say that was? Probably around 6 a.m. Now, guys, I want you to watch this. He went out about the third hour. That was what time? Nine. He went out about the sixth hour, which is around noon. He went out around the ninth hour, which was around three. Now, he's going out at six. He's going out at nine. He's going out at twelve. And he's going out at three. What time would you expect him to go out next? Why does he break the sequence? This is Jesus' story. He makes up every aspect of this, this thing. So everything has an importance to it. He goes out six. Three hours later, he comes back. Three hours later, he comes back. Three hours later, he comes back. Then all of a sudden, he's back in what? Two hours. How come he comes back the, the last time in two hours? He broke the sequence. Because if he came at the normal time, he'd come at 6 and workday would be over. So he comes intentionally to get people that are there for one hour. Now I want to read this to you out of the Weist translation. Because I like some of the ways that he puts this. And about the eleventh hour, this is verse 6 and 7. About the eleventh hour, he having gone out, he found others who had taken their stand and were standing there. And he says to them, Why have you stood here the whole day as unemployed men? Now, doesn't that sound a bit stronger? We really digs into the Greek when he pulls out these, uh, the meaning of it and puts it in translation. Why have you stood here the whole day as unemployed men? We don't have that he said that to any other group. He says it to this group. Isn't that interesting? They say to him, because as for us, nobody hired us for himself. He says to them, as for you, be going into the vineyard. Now, Williams puts verse 6 this way. Why have you been standing here all day doing nothing. I want to get you the picture of this. He has gone out at 6 a.m. and he picked up everybody he could. This is the people that really want to work. These are the people that are looking forward to working and got there early. They have people that depend on them to be at work. They want to make sure if there's a job to be had, I am going to be there to get it. I'm going to be there at 6. If I have to wait for an hour or two before anybody shows up, that's fine. 
but I really want to work. Then he's got the second group. The second group, these are the people who just show up when, you know, normal people would come and hire somebody. And so they come and they're there, ready to work at 9 a.m. And then he's got some other ones that show up, don't show up till noon. Maybe they showed up at 11, but I mean, they slept in. They slept in. They mosey on out by the marketplace by around noon. And he comes on over and he hires all them. Then he comes by at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and he finds more people standing around looking for work. And he hires all of them. And then he comes out one hour before he's going to dismiss everybody and he's looking for more workers. One thing, this tells you something about the person who is hiring. He desperately needs people to work in the field. He is desperate for people to work in the field and he keeps going out to get more people to work in the field, right? But when he comes to this last group, he addresses them differently. And he says to them, why have you stood here the whole day as unemployed men? Now, give you a little bit of perspective on this. Have you ever had it? And kids, you might be able to think about this. Have you ever had it? You've been at home and the call goes out, I need help outside. What happens to you? How many disappear? How many become as quiet as can be? Not going to find me. No, hide under the bed. Quick jump in the shower. Do whatever you can do. Because no, I don't want to go outside. I don't want to work. It's hot out there. I don't want to work outside today. And so you do whatever you can do to not be found. Whatever you can do. i got to find something so that no one finds me. What this is telling us here, the way that this is translated, the way that this is put together, is that these guys, they go out from their families sometime early in the morning and pretend like they're looking for work. And when the people come to hire them, they hide. Because I want to appear to be looking for work, but I don't actually want any. And so when the guy came back, oh, here it comes again. He's hiring everybody. We better hide good. So he hides at nine. They hide at noon. They hide at three. Now they think they're home free. They think they're home free. And about 5 p.m., no one's hiring us now, so we can just be out here in the marketplace. We can just hang out here because no one's hiring us now. And so they... They uh, hang on out there because they don't want to go home yet because they want to give the appearance that we tried to work. We tried to get hired. But then we can go home again. Well, nobody hired us. We, we were in the marketplace the whole day. Nobody hired us. I'll go out again tomorrow and I'll see what I can find. But, you know, nobody wanted to hire. I don't know what they were doing there. Maybe in the marketplace, you might be able to relate to this. Maybe they had an arcade. Arcades have no interest to in me at all. But maybe they were hiding out in the arcade and putting the quarters in and playing some of the machines. I don't know what they were... They were doing something. They were finding some kind of entertainment there and they didn't want to be pulled from it. But then all of a sudden at 5 p.m. they get caught. 
Why are you standing here as unemployed men? Now, he's pretty strong with this. Why have you stood here the whole day? Williams does the same thing. Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? So he's calling them out in this thing. You've been standing here. You're not doing anything. What in the world is he relating that to? Don't let me forget. We're going to come back and tell you what he means. There's a reason why Jesus put that in there. He didn't just slip that in, just, well, you know, fill out the story. No, there is a, there is a reason why everything is in a parable. And there's a reason why that's in the parable. If I forget, just remind me. Now, he seems to have a reason to question why they haven't been hired so far. Because he's been hiring everybody. He's been coming and pulling everybody into the field. But he doesn't press the issue. That's important to know. I know what you've been doing, but I'm not going to press it. Now, people who are not doing the right thing or are not doing productive things, they usually have in their mind and they see the problem as other people. Isn't that right? Look at the way this is worded. Jesus, the way he words it, why have you stood here all day idle? Why have you stood here as unemployed people? Why have you done that? What did they say? They did not say because we didn't want to be found. They didn't say that. What did they say? Because no one hired us. People that are not doing what God wants them to do, people that are not doing what they should do, will always blame other people. It is someone else's fault. Well, the reason I didn't do that for God was because people don't like me. The reason I didn't do that for God is because no one likes the way that I do it. It's always somebody else's fault. There's a mindset with this. And this is this last group of people. Now, um, in John chapter 6, 44, I want you to notice this before I read that verse. I want you to notice that there is not a soul in this story who answered the call to go into the vineyard except that the owner invited them. Do you notice that about the story? Have you ever read this story before and wondered how is it that no one goes into the vineyard to work unless the owner invites them? Is that an unimportant detail? There's a Hallmark movie. It's one of my favorite ones. You may have... uh, may have seen it. We just watched it again. Just It came on. I, said, I told him, oh, that's one of my favorites. She said, let's watch it. Okay. <laughs> it's the one about the plaza. How many remember the Hallmark movie about the plaza? And I love the guy who's the bellhop. Uh, the, main, the main bellhop. He's the guy who actually makes the Christmas ornaments. Oh, he's, I love him as an actor. But it's such a great character in there. He would always say, his famous line in that is, anybody remember? Nothing unimportant happens at the plaza. I love that line. Nothing unimportant happens at the plaza. You never saw that movie. That was a great Hallmark movie. Oh, I enjoyed that one immensely. Nothing unimportant 
ever happens in a parable? It doesn't. If it happens in the parable, it is there for a reason. If you just read over it, then you are going to miss something that's in the parable. Because everything in the parable is there for a reason. There's a reason for this too. No one goes into the vineyard to work except invitation. John 6, 44. Look at this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up the last day. What's that? Let me, let me reword this for you. No one comes to the vineyard unless I invite him. Now, how many did the owner invite? Everyone he saw. And then he came back. And then he came back again. And then he came back again. The problem is not the invitation. The problem is showing up. There's a whole lot of Christian, a whole lot of people out there who want to pretend to be Christians. They're not because they never showed. They're out there hiding in the arcade. They're out there hiding away from, well, here he comes. He hires everybody. If we don't want to work, we better hide. We better stay back. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 8, Matthew 20. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, Call the laborers and give them their wages beginning with the last to the first. Now the steward is called upon. The steward is, we bring the steward in and he is called upon to set up a situation that will bring out the ugly. This is going to bring out the ugly stuff. He has, he's told him, set this up so we get every ugly thing out. Have you ever watched a movie or seen something unfold with your relatives? with a dinner that you had and people came over and you see it unfold and you say, oh, this is not going to end well. Have you ever been in that situation? That is what is going on here. This owner deliberately sets it up for people, get this, to be offended. He deliberately and intentionally sets this up for people to become offended. He doesn't just say, pay the workers. He says, no, no, no. Pay the workers, but start with the last group. The last group. Start with them. Now, think about the vineyard. How many of you talk to your co-workers? Anybody not talk to your co-workers? Just ignore them the entire day? If you work at home, I guess that might be the case, but most times we don't ignore them. So when the 6 a.m. guys are out there in the field and they're working, they're working, they're working, they're working, and three hours later, another group of people come in. Oh, we got some more workers. Hey, what is one of the biggest topics among coworkers? How much are they paying you? Right? Don't we always want to know that? What are they paying you? And then immediately we begin to determine whether you are worth it. So they're talking about this 
Uh, well, he didn't actually tell you what he was going to pay me. He just said he would pay me a fair wage. Oh, well, he's paying me a whole denarius. Huh. Let me put that another word, another way for you. He's paying me a hundred bucks. Wow, I, I don't know what he's paying me. So they go about their work. And the early workers get together. He didn't, he didn't promise them any money yet. How much do you think he's going to pay them? Well, I don't know if he's paying us a hundred bucks for 12 hours of work. And they're going to be here for maybe nine. Maybe 75? You think that kind of math is going on? Absolutely. And then when the 12 o'clock crowd comes, they've been not working for six hours. They got six hours to go. That's half the time. What kind of conversations do you think were going on there? How, how much are they paying you? Oh, he didn't say. He just said it would be fair. And I was desperate for work, so uh, I, I took it. I, I hope he pays me well. Well, if he's paying us a hundred bucks. How much do you think he ought to pay them? Come on. I made it easy for you. Fifty. And then he goes out at three o'clock and he brings them all in here and they're going to work for three hours. How much do you think amongst their conversation have they determined that they are worth? Oh, Twenty-five bucks. Then the last group comes in. They're working for one hour. One hour. Man, if he pays them anything more than ten bucks, that's why I made it a hundred. Made it real easy for us to divide this up and figure all this sort of stuff out. Because we can get real jealous about co-workers, can't we? The money that they're being paid. So call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So the first workers, they arrived. They have been there since 6 a.m. When other people were home sleeping, they showed up to work. These are not lazy people. Once you understand this first group, these are people that are determined to work. And they will outperform most people that are around them. These are high-performing people. And you don't keep them in bed early in the morning. They are up, they are out, they are looking. Just in case somebody decides to hire us, we want to make sure that we are there because we want to get the best jobs. We want to work for the best people. So we're going to be there early. And they get there early and they're ready to go. And don't you know it, when they were out there working, they probably outworked everybody else. This is the kind of people they are. This is the kind of mindset that they're at. They are ready to work. And they worked 12 hours in the vineyard. Now, we've got a little game we're going to put together here for you. So I'm going to need some volunteers. Some of you kids that are here, we're going to need some volunteers. And um, we can pull that video up. So we got a video here. And in this video, this is a game called What Happens Next? What Happens Next? How are we doing? Yeah, we're ready for it. What Happens Next? Pausing this for a minute. I need a volunteer. All right. You can stand up. Just stand up so everybody, everybody can see. All right. Now, you're going to see the, the first part of this clip, and then you're going to be given three choices. You have to decide what happens next. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> 
comes next. All right, the dog spins in circles on the ground. That's choice A. Choice B, the dog starts barking like a crazed maniac. And C, the dog runs into the wall. Which one will you pick? A? He has picked A. All right, let's have a second person. Anybody else want to play along? All right, which one you want to pick? B? All right, we can do a third one. Who wants to do a third? Which one you want to pick? A? We got A, A, and B. Go ahead and play it. It was C. Ran into the wall. All right. Go ahead and play the video, and then we're going to stop it and pick some people to, to do this one. Better, faster, stronger. Power, power, never. What happens next? Stop the, stop the video. We need three volunteers. Genzo, which do you think is going to, can you come on up? Which do you think is going to happen? A, the man punches through all ten bricks. B, another guy runs toward the man and he kicks the guy in the chest. C, the karate man attempts to punch the bricks but misses. C, he's, the karate man is going to attempt to punch the bricks but he misses. We need another volunteer. You want to go again? Go ahead. B, B is another guy runs toward the man and he kicks the guy in the chest. So we got a C, we got a B. Anybody else want to play? Oh, what's up here? You're, okay, you're going, to, so you're going to pick B. All right, so we got two B's and one C. Go ahead and play it. Who had C? You did. All right. So we got a winner. Let's go. Let's keep it going. What happens Just so they can see what, what happens here. What happens next? What? 
The guy yells and throws the skateboard and hits the camera with the skateboard. That's one. The guy yells, throws the skateboard and hits the camera, the one that's taking the picture, with the skateboard. B, the guy gets mad, hits his skateboard on a block, but the skateboard bounces and hits him in the face. Or C, the guy breaks his skateboard in half, but hurts his leg doing it. All right, Chenzo? B. Who was the other one? You guys are here. You got B? B? Three Bs. Go ahead, play it. Who's uh, who hasn't played it twice yet? Who wants to? All right, you want you want to be one? Have you played it twice? All right, I just make sure everybody who's played it twice at least once that we can go to three times. All right, who wants to? Who else wants? We need two more people. One more there, and Genzo. Okay. Right. Max, you want to play? All right, Max. We'll have everybody play. Everybody will play this one. This is the last one, I believe. Go ahead. What happens next? The ball bounces off the bar and hits the kicker in the head. The ball, that's A. B, the ball hits the bar and hits the camera. C, the ball hits the sidebar, then hits the goalie in the face. So... Bounces off the bar and hits the kicker in the head. Ball hits the bar, hits the camera. Ball hits the sidebar, then hits the goalie in the face. Genzo, which one are you going to go for? A? C? B? C? C. A lot of C's. Okay, play it. All right, who got C? All right, there's our winners. Good job. All right. Thank you, guys. I think that's all of them, right? You really had nothing to go on, did you? You, you, you watched the video, but you kind of had a guess. You had to anticipate because you really didn't have anything to build an expectation on. Most people that are building an expectation or state an expectation really have nothing to build it on. When you have the promise, the first group had the promise. The promise was 
if you work the day, I'll give you a denarius or I'll give you a hundred bucks. That's, they had the promise. No one else had anything to have an expectation for, did they? There's only one group who had a promise and the rest just kind of drummed up some kind of expectation based on, on whatever they, they felt, whatever they thought was right. Now these new workers have been asked by the, by the, uh, people that are there, how much did he promise to beg you? None of them are coming up with anything. I put this in your outline for you. You can fill this in if you want to. Wrong expectations are born of assumptions, not promises. That's something along the lines we gave you some time back, but wrong expectations are born of assumptions, not promises. If you have a wrong expectation, somewhere you allowed an assumption to come in. The only rightful expectation here is that the first group is going to get paid a denarius and the second group, third group, fourth group, all the other groups are going to get paid what? What is fair. All right. This is so important, these next parts, I didn't give you any blanks. I want to make sure you get this. How the enemy tempts us into a wrong expectation. This is how the enemy does this. All three are present in this parable. But you can think of other places where this has been. First off, the enemy will tempt you into a wrong expectation by changing what we think God said. That's the first thing. Adam and Eve, has God really said? Abraham, well maybe God didn't say that I needed to be here now. Maybe I can go down to Egypt. For We're changing what God said. That's the first thing. If he can change what you think God said, he can get you into a wrong expectation. There's a lot of people out there who think that, here's an assumption, God will never give me more than I can handle. Right? I mean, that's scripture, right? No, it's not in there. But it is said so often, people think it is. Oh, absolutely, you can get a lot more in your life than you can handle. You can jump into the thing in life and be way beyond what you can handle. But it is not what God intended. God will tell you, don't do that. Don't go out there. Don't embrace that. No, no, I'm going to do this. Okay. God won't stop you. But if you step out from where God has told you to stay, you could be in a heap of trouble. And it could be a whole lot more than you expect to handle that's a wrong promise. So if we change what we think God said, that's one way to do it. Here's the second way. Elevate how we view what we have done. Elevate how we view what we have done. He is going to get you to see what you have done for the kingdom, what you have done for your boss, what you have done wherever, as being way up here. You know, McDonald's faced that with the people that were taking the orders. They thought their service was way up here. McDonald's looked at it as way down here. Worth so much money per hour. Well, they thought, no, no, we're worth like 25 bucks an hour. McDonald's says, uh-uh. And so eventually, that got to be such a problem that now McDonald's and other places have just put in little kiosks. So now you don't even get to put your order in with a person. you got to go up there and hit the screen. Why? 
because the screen doesn't demand wages. And it shows up for work. So they fresh themselves out of that market. So now all those jobs are gone. The enemy is going to try and ele- get you to elevate how you view what you have done. Just like if, if your dad asks you, hey, go out and mow the lawn and I'll pay you for it. And you go out and mow the lawn and you were hot and you were, oh man, that was tough. I think that's worth at least a hundred bucks. And your dad thinks, I was thinking five. Here's the other one. Depreciate our view of what others do. This is all product of the enemy. Change what we think God said. Elevate how we view what we have done and depreciate our view of what others do. Keep this part in mind because this is what's going to go on. All three of these are, are here in this parable. First off, we're going to see that they're going to change what the Master said. Secondly, they're going to elevate what they have done. We've worked here all day long. And then they're going to devalue what someone else did. They've only been here for an hour. All three are present in this parable. Any one of them will get you in trouble. Because what I do is good and abounding. What others do is bad and inadequate. And what God spoke is difficult and uncertain. That's what that wants me to think. What God speaks is not difficult and it's not uncertain. But that's what they're going to try and get us to do. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Can you see that the first group has fallen into this? They are into selfish ambition. That's where they're at. Now, will God or the Spirit of God, either one, do these things for you? First off, will God or the Spirit of God change what was spoken? Will not. God won't do it. The Spirit of God won't do it. Will God or the Spirit of God overvalue your actions? No. Will God or the Spirit of God degrade the actions of others? He will not, will it? So anytime that I am falling into one of those first three things we showed you, you are not following after the voice of God, which means you are not following after the shepherd, which means you are learning the voice of another shepherd, and you have yielded to one who has entered in, not through the gate. Remember that parable? Now, here's some blanks for you. To follow this way is to follow first off an imposter shepherd instead of the shepherd. You're going to follow in that way and these guys who were there at the vineyard early, you are following an imposter shepherd instead of the shepherd. Secondly, you're following darkness instead of light. We're supposed to follow the light. We're not supposed to be attracted to the darkness. And third... You're following pride instead of humility. You're thinking so much more of yourself and so little of others. Now, will this get you in or away from trouble? In. Absolutely. This will get you in trouble. You follow this way, you will get yourself in trouble. And more trouble than you bargained for. 
Will this get you in or over tests and trials? That'll get you in them, not over them. Will, will this lead you, this attitude, this way of looking at things, will this lead you to defeat or victory? Will not lead you to victory, but it will lead you to defeat. So a lot of people, they're going in the way of defeat. They're going in the way of tests and trials that they're failing in. And they're going into trouble because they're following this way. Just like these guys did. Now understand, we're not talking about heathens. We're talking about people who accepted the invite of the owner of the vineyard and worked in the vineyard all day long. Verse 9, And when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, each received a denarius. Now, picture this. Put yourself in this spot here. The guys who've been there twelve hours, they've had these discussions amongst themselves, watching all this stuff go on, and they see the first group who worked one hour. One hour. One hour. Put it to you this way. Max, if your dad and your mom come to you and they say, we will give you $100 if you work 12 hours in the yard. And you say, okay. And then later on in the day, they go over to Mia. And they say, Mia, I will give you 100 bucks. I'll give you, I'll pay you its fair if you go in the field and work for an hour. And she worked for an hour. And then you're sitting over there on the side and they pay Mia first. Mia, here's $100. What are you thinking? You think... You're thinking, why is she getting the same amount as me? Or, I'm going to get more. Right? I'm going to get more. hundred bucks for an hour of her work, and I work harder than she does. Right? We always think that we work harder than everybody else, right? Nobody works as hard as us. This is what they're... They're facing. And so they're sitting here. They're watching one hour. Denarius. Oh man, he's feeling generous. I bet he's going to... Boy, he may give us ten. And then the second group comes up. These are expectations. What happens next? They're trying to decide. what A, B, C. They came up with, you know, more. So the second group comes up. They were there for how many hours? Three. What did they get? hundred bucks. What, what? Oh, they got the same amount. Now they're confused. Then the six-hour group comes up. hundred bucks. I'm not liking how this is going. <laughs> Nine-hour group comes in. hundred bucks. Now they may suspect we may only get what we were promised. But on the inside, their expectation has been built on something else. Let's go on with the story. But when those came who were hired about the eleventh hour, they each received the denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius, a hundred bucks. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. They're not happy, are they? 
Now look at this. Were they happy at 6 a.m. when they got hired for Daenerys? They were. What changed? The only thing that changed was he gave other people the same. That's the only thing that changed. Weist reads 11 and 12 this way. And having received it, they kept discontentedly grumbling and complaining against the master of the house, muttering in a low undertone, saying, those who were last worked one hour, and you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and its scorching heat, muttering in a low undertone. Let's put this in perspective here. You got the, you get the money. You're thinking, I should get more. I'm only getting what he promised me. He received it. I can't believe this is all he's paying me. Did he not see all the things I worked them people under the table? This is not right. This should not go on. This is not fair. I don't like this at all. And so they begin to grumble against the, against the guy. Williams puts verse 11 this way. And as they received it, they began to grumble against the owner of the estate. Hmm. When we begin to see life as unfair to me, it is an absolute sign we no longer live by faith in the promises, but by faithless expectations. Expectations don't take faith. Because I can build an expectation out of anything. Just like in the video, what happens next? I can build an expectation based on nothing. Nothing at all. I, I went through this personally in the job that I, I love the job. Still one of my favorite jobs. I haven't had that many jobs. But this was one of my favorite jobs I ever had in, in, in all, the, all the time that I was working in different things. While going, and I worked for a Keltner's Horseradish. And I didn't like it at first. First year I had that job, I hated the job. It was the least favorite job I ever had in my entire life. Couldn't wait to... I, I must have missed God. I don't know why I'm in this job. And then they finally said, Steve, we're going to give you the shore run. And so they gave me the shore run. I got to go down the shore and get paid for it. It was wonderful. And then they put me up overnight. And I was down. I had to work long hours. I started at 4 a.m. in the morning. I would finish somewhere around 5 o'clock at night. And then uh, get enough time for dinner, run on the beach. And then did paperwork until the wee hours of the night. Studied some things for the midweek service coming back. And then uh, start early in the morning the next day. And I'd get on up there. And I'd be there as soon as my first stop. And I arranged them all so I had early one, early people in the beginning. And I packed my day. I packed my day. And I would go to him and I'd say, how much money do I need to make before I break even? Because I'm over the road. They're, they're paying for my meals. And they gave me $15 a day to spend on meals. <laughs> that, was, that was kind of funny. <laughs> $15 a day for three meals. And then they paid for the hotel that I was at. Uh, and so this is what we, we would do going out there. And so I ask them, how much does it take? And they say, well, for normal over the ro- normal day, seven hundred. But for you, you're going to be about a thousand, eleven hundred dollars till we break even. You get to pass the a thousand, eleven hundred dollar mark, and on sales, and we'll break even at that point. We don't make any money off yet, but we at least break even. I arranged that route and did that route so that by nine a.m. I was between two and five thousand dollars. By 9 a.m. I still had the rest of the day to go. 
I blew away every total that they thought. I made so much money for them, they'd actually say, take more time. Don't work so hard. Just take it, take it easy. But I couldn't take it easy. They gave me, take two more days. And going, I took two more days and I doubled the route. We just increased, we just kept, I loved it. They had another guy who was an over-the-road guy like me. He went further. And he would, uh, since he was going further, it cost him more money. I don't know what his break point was. I didn't ask. But I did find out because the secretary we had, she's one of those nosy persons. And she just kept interjecting things. And she would let me know, I can't believe how much money you pull in in a day. This other guy, and they, I'm not going to say his name, but they mentioned his name. And they said, he doesn't pull in $1,000 a day. And I'm in, I'm in ten, fifteen thousand dollars I could be pulling in in one day, easy. And so they, uh, I could easily think, well, that's not fair. But you see, we came to an agreement on what my salary was, and, what, and actually they paid me salary when we first got started. And I realized early on this is not going to work, because I will outwork your salary. I was working fifty, sixty hours a week, easy. No problem. I could, I, could do, I could do that in four days. Four days, I could get 60 hours in and then have the other days off to, to do things around the church and stuff. No problem at all. And I said, well, this is not going to work. Pay me, so you pay me by the hour. And then you pay me overtime once I hit 40. Okay. So we got that negotiated out. And, so, uh, and they didn't mind paying my overtime. They gladly paid the overtime because of how much money I was bringing in. But you see, I negotiated that. Now, I could say to myself, well, I should be paid this amount if you're paying him this. But you see, that's not right. You have to come with what's promised. If I thought something was not right, I should go to them and, and make the, the, adjust, the adjustment. They didn't do that. They didn't go to him and say anything about changing this. Now, if you live this way, if you live in such a way that when you begin to see life treating you unfair, if that's how you're going, life is unfair. Life is unfair. If you no longer live in the promises... If you're living by faithless expectations, let me tell you something that's going to happen with you. If you live this way, we take you down a road of disappointment. You tell me if your life has any of this going on. Road of disappointment, frustration, resentment, bitterness, anger, impatience. Basically, anything that is opposite the fruit of the Spirit. You're going to have all that kind of stuff against God, against people, against the people that are around you. This is what's going to happen. If you are noticing those things coming up in your life, you are beginning to get resentment, bitterness, frustration, disappointment, anger, impatience with God, with the people that are around you. You have probably switched and have not realized it. You have switched from faith in the promises to faithless expectations. And you are expecting God to do something that He never promised He would do. Christians all the time expect God to do something that He's not promised He would do. Now, Jesus doesn't mutter. How many of y'all know that? The Pharisees, Sadducees, they mutter. They say things under the breath. Jesus does not mutter. He doesn't need to. He speaks the truth. And I don't care who hears it. He's going to speak it out. He spoke loud. And He welcomed for anyone who wanted to to hear what He had to say. When we begin to say things, we don't want the subject of our words to hear, we aren't speaking from promises, but from expectations. I don't know if I left that in your outline or not. It may have been too long. But it's, I, I get this part down. I'll tell you, I had to learn this a long time ago. 
when we begin to say things we don't want the subject of our words to hear, we aren't speaking from promises, but from expectations. I'm expecting this person to do that. They didn't. They never said they would. But I'm expecting it. People go around and work. They start talking about their frustration about how they're getting paid. But they won't talk to their boss about a raise. They won't talk to their boss about changing the conditions. Because we're not speaking on promises. We're not living by faith in the promises. We're living by faithless expectations. Let's go on and we've got to finish this up. Verse 13, But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Friend. <laughs> I like how he says that. Friend. Weiss puts it this way. Answering one of them, he said, only, he only answered one. He singled one of them out. I'm answering you. My good friend, I am not treating you unjustly. Weiss puts it a little bit stronger. My good friend. Why is he a good friend? He responded to the call early. He's one of the first ones who is ready to go out into the field. He worked all day. He gave his all in the time that he was out there. My friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a Daenerys? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this, this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your I evil because I am good. So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called. <laughs> many are called, but few are chosen. Williams puts it this way, covetous instead of evil. He doesn't call them evil. He calls them covetous. The Amplified says, or do you begrudge my being generous? People of God's promises love seeing His grace, mercy, and generosity poured out. If you are one who lives by faith in the promises, you love it when you see God's blessings poured out on other people. You get excited when you get to see it. Oh, look at that. God is pouring out blessings on all oh, that's is so neat. Oh, I, they got healed. Oh, that is good. People who are living by faithless expectations, when they see that, say, well, how come I wasn't healed? I work harder than they do. I put more in for God. I've been a Christian longer than they have. How come I didn't get healed? How come I didn't get the new job? Why didn't I get blessed? People of God's promises love seeing His grace, mercy, and generosity poured out. The reason for it is they know there is no limitation to God's supply. There's no limitation to it. Go ahead, give, give them double that. That's great. They know it brings joy to heaven. Remember the parable of the lost? This brings joy to heaven. Oh, we're seeing so much joy go to heaven. Pour it on. And they look on others as better than themselves. Because that's the attitude we're supposed to have. People of wrong expectations want to keep all the good things for themselves. Or at least a lot of them. They see a limited supply... Oh God, please heal me of just this one thing, they may say. I'll handle all the other ones. Please just, hand, just heal me of this one. Because God is a limited supply God. Their own joy is the first priority. Not heavens, not other people's. They see themselves as better and more deserving than most. 
people who stop living by faith in the promises. They see themselves as better and more deserving than most. I should have had that. God should have given that to me. Oh, I wish I could do those kind of things. We were watching on Friday night. My wife and I, we sat down, turned on the TV. We said, well, KCM, they've got the, uh, they got the seminar going on. Let's, let's tune it in and let's sit down and watch them. So it ended up being a Bill Gaither night. So the Copelands brought in the Gaithers and they took over the whole night and they were going. But one of the things that, that, uh, Brother Copeland said to, uh, Bill Gaither, and it's just really neat to see them all pounding around up there on the stage. Uh, he said to him, he says, uh, you've written, I think he said 700 songs. 700 songs. And he mentioned, he says, and I just know when we get to heaven, we're going to be singing some of them. And I began to think about this. I said, you know what? That's right. These people that have written songs, some of those songs are going to be played in heaven. And all heaven is going to hear it. And then I thought about this. No one is going to preach a single message I did. Why? Because you see, you can sing songs in heaven. But how in the world are you going to preach the gospel in front of Jesus? <laughs> I didn't get mad at that. I said, that's okay. Let Bill write the songs. <laughs> I'm not very good at writing songs anyway. I like writing sermons. I like, I like, I'm still fine with this. Everything can stop when we get there. I'm still okay with that. But see, sometimes you can get into that. Why can't I do this? Why can't I be blessed in this area over here? People of wrong expectations want to keep all the good things for themselves. No, you need to get blessed when you see other people go. All the early workers, they all thought they deserved more. Notice this about this too. This whole thing begins to become, people begin to segregate it into their groups. The early workers are the early workers. We're the early workers. You and me, man, we were here. We were here. No one else was here. We were here. We were here. We answered the call of God when it first came out. And if you're wondering about this, this parable, that Daenerys, that is salvation. What this is saying is, no matter how long it's been since you came and answered the invitation of the master, of the owner of the vineyard, no matter how long, whether it's been one hour, whether it's been three hours, six hours, nine hours, 12 hours, whether you've been there all day or you just got there, at the end, when we are all called, you get the same reward. Salvation. Salvation. Oh, that's not fair. I should get double salvation. Right? I should get more. I've been serving God all my years. You hear people talk about testimony? Anybody ever hear somebody say, I don't really have a testimony? Pastor I was under for a while, he said, I don't really have a testimony. And I kind of agree with him. I don't have a testimony. You got saved early on. Raised in a Christian home. Drugs never interested me. Smoking never interested me. Drinking never interested me. Dancing never interested me. I was raised Baptist. Cuss words never interest me. Secular music never interests me. Never had any interest. It wasn't that it was a temptation that resisted it. I wasn't interested. I didn't want anything to do with it. God didn't pull me out of a drug-infested past. 
Didn't pull me out of the, the bars and the sin and all that sort of stuff. But I'm still just a saved. Remember the parable with Simon's house? Simon, who do you think is going to love the master more? The one who forgave little or the one who forgave much? But you see, I realize my little in the eyes of other people is just as much as it took to get me to hell. Here's a blank for you. Make sure you get this one. Bad attitudes come from wrong expectations. If you have a bad attitude towards anyone, towards anything, toward whatever's going on, if you've got a bad attitude towards it, search somewhere you have a wrong expectation. Well, nobody showed up to help me. Did you ask? Did anyone say that they would? Well, no, but they should have. They may have started to work in the field with gladness, but as workers are added, things may have changed. As I begin to see other people brought in, wait, that person, they were a sinner. Man, I know the kind of stuff that they did. And you brought them into the field? They're, they get to be here? Are you kidding me? He's over there in the marketplace, hiding out, ignoring the call of the Master. I'm not going to get saved. I'm not going to do that. No, I want to live like a sinner. He's over there. He's pretending like he wants to, but he's, he's not. I know that person. They keep showing up at church, but then they live, live like the devil on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And as soon as they get out of church on Sunday. Right? No, they're a pretender. How did they get here? You get up to heaven, you start looking around. What? 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 Katie Couric made it? Are you kidding me? See, it doesn't matter whether you came in and you were there for all 12 hours, the entire life, or you came in at the end. All heaven is joyful because they got saved. And if you don't share in that joy, you are not sharing the heart of the Father. Now, they may have been glad when they first started, but these workers were not glad as the day went on. There was a change, especially when the pay went out. How often do Christians look at the blessings that God gives to other people? They compare their works and they determine themselves should have received more. I should have gotten that. I should have had that more. Why are they getting that? People who have the faith of God also share. Get this. People who have the faith of God also share the character of God. If you're going to have the faith of God, Jesus taught this to you. Have the faith of God. That's what He taught. Have the faith of God. If you're going to have the faith of God, you are going to share in the character of God. People who have counterfeit faith will have fruits to match. These people worked all day, but they had a stinky attitude when they came out. Now, where would you expect to see more good attitudes? The genuine faith people, not the counterfeit ones. 
Here's some practical applications I want to get for you. You can write these down if you want. They didn't make your outline. Don't hold God to promises He didn't make. In order to not do that, you've got to know the Word. You've got to be learning what the Word teaches, not what somebody says about the Word. You need to learn what the Word teaches. Don't hold God to promises He didn't make. That is faithless expectations. Don't develop expectations outside of the promises of God. Now, you ready for that great principle I told you about? If you can get this principle down, it will help change you. Here it is. Grace is simply not fair. Grace is simply not fair. Stop looking for grace to be fair. Because if you really understood it, you did not get what you deserve. You got what Jesus Christ deserved. Not what you deserve. Grace is decidedly not fair. It's just, but it's not fair. The person who comes in at the 11th hour gets to be saved just like the person who was there all day long. Now, here's the difference. There is a difference. And you'll learn this in other places in the work. We haven't gotten one of the parables that will teach you this difference. But I'm going to give you just this so that you, you, you know, hey, why not just wait until the end? Here's the reason. Because the people who were in the vineyard all day working... They put the gifts that God had given them to work all day long. And though they are saved just as much as the other person is, there is a reward for the gifts that you have put to work in the body of Christ. And that reward is different. But we're not there yet. We will get there. Ephesians 2, 8, 10. I want to read this for you. You are probably very familiar with verses 8 and 9, but I want to make sure you get verse 10 because verse 10 is real important here. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How many of y'all know that? Probably memorized that when you were a kid. For by grace you have been saved through faith. All right, grace is simply not fair, but it is by faith. Grace is not fair, but it is by faith. Now look at verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. The person who came in on the 11th hour, how much of that plan did they get to put together? Not much. How much did the first person who got in there at 6 a.m. get to put together? They could have pursued the entire thing. Grace is not fair, but it is by faith. But once you're in the kingdom, what are you doing? Now, get this about fairness. Fairness is just me seeing things in such a way as I get what I feel I deserve. Isn't that right? Fairness is just me seeing things in such a way as I get what I feel I deserve. And 
Others don't get more than I think they deserve. Isn't that what's fair? That's Whenever I'm saying that's not fair, it means I didn't get what I think I should get and someone else got more than I think they should get. That's selfish, isn't it? Fairness is is selfish. That's what people do. Well, you got to make sure that as you're going through life and you're working out there in the field and you're working side by side with some other people in the the Christian family, there's going to be some things that will happen that can get you into a bad attitude. You're going to see some other people get some things that you thought you deserved, but you didn't get it yet. And you're going to begin to think that is not fair. I mean, when we were brothers and sisters growing up, how many of y'all know, brothers and sisters, we were looking at each other, Mom, that's not fair. That's not fair. How come they get three cookies and I get one? That's not fair. Why? Because I'm not getting what I want. Well, the reason is they eat all the vegetables and all the fruit. You don't eat any. So, when we say that's not fair, we're looking at it from a very limited point of view. Don't let that go on. When you have, when you have attitudes building inside yourself towards other people, other Christians, and you begin to think that first off, they're not as good as me, secondly, I am better than they are, and God is glad to have me on His team. Just know you have put yourself in a place because I didn't, I didn't emphasize this. I gotta go back just for a moment. Over here in, um, verse 14. Take what is yours and go your way. What? Did you ever notice that was in there? Now look, this parable is about people answering the call from God into the family. Does he say this to the first, second, third, fourth group? Does he say it to them? He says it to them. Why? Because apparently the other ones didn't have a bad attitude. They received the denarius and were happy. Even the one who was there nine hours got the denarius and saw the one who got denarius for an hour. We don't hear that anything came from them. It's just this last group. And he tells them, go your way. I don't know exactly what that means, but I don't want to get to heaven and receive salvation and then told, go your way. What words do you want to hear when you get to heaven and you receive your salvation reward? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear, go your way. (laughs) I don't know exactly what that means, but it doesn't sound as good as the first one. I want to go after that one. Go your way. He never said that to anyone else. Jesus put this in here. I don't want to know what that means. So I always make sure that I don't develop bad attitudes towards other people. If other people got something that I thought I deserved, glory to God. I just make sure I stay happy about it. <laughs> I'm not going to get bothered by it. I'm not going to start talking to the other workers in the field. Did you, did you see? Don't be doing it. Because you see, 
if I develop a bad attitude, then the owner of the vineyard is not as willing to do things for me. And you can look at that, some of the other parables that we've already covered. When people had bad attitudes, it didn't go well. Keep your attitude good. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works. Not based on how long you worked in the field. Can you see that? It's not based on how much work you put in. It's by grace. He gave it to you. It's His generosity. He hurts no one by giving them more than they deserve. And if I keep giving in to that attitude and have a bad attitude towards other Christians and have a hard time trusting other people and have a hard time blessing other people and have a hard time seeing other people be blessed or God using other imperfect people. If I have a hard time with that, that's a, that's a sign. Something's wrong, Steve. Something's wrong. Fix it. Fix it. Don't let it keep going on. And I know right away, I got to fix that. I can't be having that bad attitude because that's not going to be good for Steve. I can be selfish in that. That's not good for Steve. It's not good for other people either, but it's not good for Steve. We don't want to see that go on. Make sure you stay out of it. Everybody repeat after me. Grace, Grace. is not fair, it's not but it is by faith. Glory to God. Galatians 5 and 6 reads this way. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. If your faith cannot work through love, it is an imposter. Faith works through love. You may have accepted a counterfeit and you may be working in the field with everything that you got, but you are operating on a counterfeit faith. Don't be in a counterfeit. Get in the real stuff. That's where God wants you to, to be at. Don't get your bad attitude in the way. That bad attitude that can get you turned away. That can get you going someplace else. And don't think that just because you've been in the field and you're working hard that everything is hunky-dory. Because you remember Elijah was in the field. He was working hard. He was out there in the mountain slaying prophets of Baal. Calling fire down from heaven. Telling people who the real God was. And what did God say to Elijah? What are you doing Elijah would tell him, I've been zealous for the Lord. I alone have been left. And they want to kill me. And the Lord says to him, Elijah, i got 7,000 people ready to take your place. If you really want that to happen, I'll do it right now. Don't think that you are that invaluable. That Don't take your work and raise it up to here. At the same time, taking other people's work and lowering it down to here. What you've got to do is walk on according to the scripture that says, look at the work of others. Look at the things of others. Look at them as better than yourself. I'm not saying that they are. I'm saying look at them as that. Would you all stand up with me? This is our communion Sunday. Just as we can fall into as this parable says, instead of receiving by faith, 
we're looking to receive it by work. I may have started in faith, but I've switched over because of some of the things that have happened around me. Don't get angry at the grace that's around. God's pouring out on other people. Be glad. Don't be angry like the older brother who saw the younger brother come back and the grace of God poured out. You can go ahead and distribute the other one. Saw the grace of God poured out on the younger brother and him brought in and the fatted calf killed and all that grace that got poured out on him. And what did he think? What did the other son think? Let me rephrase it for you. That's not fair. I've worked for you all this time. I've been out in the field since 6 a.m. Can you see the correlation? I've been out in the field since 6 a.m. working hard for your kingdom. And he got upset because of the grace of God that was poured out on the brother. Don't get upset at the grace of God poured out on sinners. Be glad. If Katie Couric gets saved, I will rejoice. I can go with this to another news people too. The grace of God being poured out on sinners is a good thing. Get the heart for the lost. Get the heart of God for how He wants His grace poured out. Because if you have the heart of God, if you get the character of God on the inside of you, you will get heaven's attention. If you have heaven's attention, your life will change. That's what we want. We want our lives to change. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He said, this represents my body, which is broken for you.